The Trek Geeks Podcast Network is proud to have Fansets as its presenting sponsor. Fansets is the place for amazing pin collectibles, with over 200 officially licensed Star Trek pins and new releases every month. Stay tuned for a special discount code good on your next order at fansets.com just for discovering Trek listeners. Fansets. Our pins have character. A discovery, an attempted rescue, and finally the cause of the burn. Kind of. Season 3 of Star Trek Discovery continues to take us literally where no Star Trek show has gone before. Last week we said hello to a guardian and then said goodbye to Philippa Georgiou as her story in the Mirror Universe came to a close. But what happens this week when Discovery heads to the Verubin Nebula to rescue the lone survivor of the Kelpian ship? Nothing could go wrong, right? Well, let's find out. Welcome aboard, everyone. My name is Dan Davidson, and we are Discovering Trek. Welcome, one and all, to Discovering Trek, the Star Trek Universe Companion, presented by Fansets. Last week, after an epic and deadly encounter back in the Mirror Universe, Philippa walked through the Guardian of Forever to an unknown time and place to perhaps start over. And this week, the USS Discovery heads to the origin of the burn to get answers and perhaps find a lone survivor. As always, this is the premier podcast for the most in-depth discussion and analysis about the latest episode of Star Trek Discovery entitled Sukal, and whether it's tense moments facing off against the Emerald Chain or fighting holographic monsters on the planet's surface, there was plenty of moments worthy of discussion here on this very podcast. And here to help me break down all the amazing things that happened in this episode, and maybe the not-so-amazing things, is the one person who I have always thought was real and helping my me through my journey. But after this week's episode, I'm kind of wondering if he's all part of an elaborate program to help me from throwing a temper tantrum and blowing up starships through the galaxy. As always, he is my friend, my brother in Trek, and my amazing number one. He is Bill Smith. And Bill, are you from the outside? Hello. My matrix has been damaged. Could you show me the exit? <laughs> nice. Hey, buddy. Good to be here. Uh, looking forward to talking about this one. Lots to lots to take in. Some amazing visuals. Oh, yeah. um, And some really great progression in this story. It should be a lot of fun. I'm really looking forward to it. Um, it was an episode that I was not expecting things to happen. Um, there were some oh-my-God moments, uh, and I'm sure we're going to get into all of them, and it's always great uh, to welcome back a very special person, isn't it? It really is. Oh, you didn't mean me this time. No, no, no. Oh, well, of course, this week we welcome back Sarah from Rewind. Uh, Sarah, it's good to have you back. It's uh, Here we are for episode, uh, what is this, 11 now? Mm. Season's coming to a close. Feels like episode 400, gentlemen, I tell you. This year, <laughs> let's 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 move on. No, <laughs> it wasn't. Bill does that to you. Yeah, I do. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Hi, guys. Sarah, it's it's great to have you back. We always look forward to uh, having you fill that third seat so we can talk about the episode. And what's kind of cool is in just a couple of weeks, we're going to have you and Casey back to talk about the season finale. Uh, but that's a couple of weeks away, so we won't. We don't want the end to come just yet. Do we? Who? Who's Casey? <laughs> Never heard of him. Never exactly. heard of him. <laughs> <laughs> um, as always, though, we do want to hear from our listeners about their thoughts on everything Discovery. Uh, so, Bill, how can they get in touch with us for their thoughts on Sukal? Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. 
Well, if you're looking to get in touch with us, there are a bunch of ways you can let us know what you think. Of course, you can go to trekgeeks.com slash contact and find a variety of ways to send us your thoughts. And of course, on Twitter or Facebook, all you have to do is search for Discovering Trek. We welcome all of your questions, comments, and burn theories. Really? You can also leave us a voicemail by visiting our website at trekgeeks.com and clicking on the giant blue button on the right-hand side. Please remember, though, that any comments you leave us might be used in a future episode of Discovering Trek. Dan? Thank you, Bill. Black alert. Black alert. From here on in, this episode of Discovering Trek contains spoilers, so if you haven't watched episode 11 of Star Trek Discovery's third season, stop listening right now. Head on over to CBS All Access or wherever you watch Discovery, watch the latest episode, then head back on over to Discovering Trek. Failure to do that puts you at risk to find out plot developments and character details for Sukal. Episode 311 of Star Trek Discovery, Sukal, is written by Anne Cofell Saunders and directed by Norma Bailey. Discovery ventures to the Verubin Nebula, where Burnham, Saru, and Culber make a shocking realization about the origin of the burn, as the rest of the crew faces an unexpected threat. Originally released on December 24th, 2020, it is the 11th episode of Star Trek Discovery's third season. Trainees, to the briefing room. Well, Bill and Sarah, as we gather in the briefing room, like we do every single week, we're going to start our discussion with a very quick thumbs up or thumbs down and some high-level thoughts on what you thought of this episode. And Sarah, as always, we will start with you. Ooh, thank you. I give this just a two thumbs up, like just just barely gives it that two thumbs. Um, I, I Everything has been so brilliant this season that I have to give them all two thumbs up. <laughs> but for the real reason I give it the two thumbs up is because I enjoyed Doug Jones and all his handsome glory so much. And I loved Osira and her evilness and the general kind of balance between excitement and a bit of nostalgia. Yeah, I agree with a lot of those points. What about you, Bill? Uh, I'm going to say one thumb up and one thumb down. I'm kind of mixed on this episode. A thumbs up for a really engaging story that kind of channels some of the original series and its spirit, and maybe even some next gen. And and plus a a thumbs down for the reveal of the Burns cause. I'm not bought into it, and I'm sure we'll talk about that a lot more later. Oh, yeah, I have a feeling we will, too. For me, um, I gave it thumbs up, but unlike last week, it's not an enthusiastic uh, thumbs up. So we're kind of all on the same page. There were some moments of the episode that I thought were some of the best of the season, uh, but there were some aspects, like Bill just mentioned, uh, the origin of the burn really left me disappointed, and I'm sure we're going to get into that uh, as our discussion continues. But uh, let's start off on some positive stuff, and that being uh, the Verubin Nebula, because... um, when they beam down to the planet, and we'll get back to before they beam down, but I want to start with when they beam down, because that moment when they beam down in what appears to be a holographic environment, and we see Burnham as a Trill, that's pretty awesome. We see Culber as a Bajoran, that's pretty neat. But then we see the feet, non-hooved feet of Saru, and we get to see Doug Jones as a human as the actor we love and have seen for so many years covered in latex, we get to see him for the first time in Star Trek as Doug. This may have been the most heartwarming moment in Star Trek for me because I love that guy so much, Sarah. 
Oh my gosh, I was so excited. As soon as I saw the feet, I was like, oh, are we going to get Klingon or Vulcan? Or like, I didn't know where they were going to go with it. It could have been anything, really. And human was just like, perfect. I was just so excited. It was so perfect. And even as a human, he still had the Kelpian nuances, holding his hands up on his hips the way he does mm-hmm. when he's in that makeup and, and with the with the walk. And he even said in interviews that doing the walk without the hooves was extremely challenging. But he's so good at what he does, Bill, that he totally sold Saru as a human. Yeah, and I believed it was Saru and not just Doug Jones without makeup, which is really cool. I mean, the the really beautiful aspect of this is a a man who has spent so much of his career wearing faces to make him look like something else finally gets a moment to shine in Star Trek as someone who looks like Doug Jones. And I think it's that's the brilliance of it. Saru is still very much there, even though he doesn't look Kelpian. And I just thought it was a fantastic job. We, we've always talked so much about the fact that Doug Jones is such a genius at his craft because you can see the emotions that he's portraying under that latex just through his eyes and by his mannerisms. Now we finally get to see it through the face of Doug Jones, and he's great at it in full human form. We've seen, there have been things that he's done where he's not wearing makeup, but they're few and far between when you look at his overall career. And he was just fantastic. And one of the things that I thought was really interesting is, as we know, he shaves his head every year before filming on Discovery Starts because yeah. he doesn't want to have to worry about having the makeup department put a bald cap on him. He had a full head of hair in this one, and he looked pretty good, sir. <laughs> <laughs> but was it his hair? Oh, I don't mean, ruin the he moment. Worn it. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to guess it probably wasn't his hair. Yeah, I'm, th- I'm thinking not. But, uh, you know, Bill, I got to say, you picked a great album cover for this week's episode because it is of Doug Jones as Human Saru. And it, it just it's just another, another moment uh, for me to love this actor even more than I already do. And I didn't know if that was possible, but it, but it certainly is. So let's go back a little bit. Before they beam down, because of course that was a big moment. I wanted to get that right out of the way. Yeah, um, there were some moments on the ship that were a little interesting. I thought Bill, in that a um, Stamets was giving Culber a real hard time about him not going on the mission, which I thought was very unStarfleet, even though they are a couple. Um, and also um, the whole idea of um, Saru putting Tilly in charge and Admiral Vance's trepidation on that. Well, let me start with the first one first, and Stamets and, and Culber. Um, I understand why Stamets is reacting the way he has. He's finally got Hugh back, the Hugh he knew, the Hugh he fell in love with. And he doesn't want to lose him again. And they're going to a place where that's a very real possibility um, with the radiation. So it may not be very Starfleet, but it is very Stamets. And I understand it all too well. Um, Regarding the other things real quick, um, I'm sorry, it was Tilly in command and then Vance. Yeah, what I, we're going to talk about Tilly being in command later on, but I thought that the scene where Saru and um, Vance were speaking, if I'm remembering this correctly, he was a little, he wasn't so sure it was the best idea. He kind of gives a look like, really? Yeah. And that that's that's kind of where I've been at the last couple of weeks. Now, this is no knock on Tilly. It's no knock on Mary Wiseman. But even you know when the commander-in-chief of Starfleet says, uh, is trying to, rationalize and and reconcile an ensign with no command experience being first officer of a starship, um, you probably need to reevaluate your decision process. 
Yeah, I, 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 do, I do agree with that. And it'll be interesting part of the conversation that we have later on. But Sarah, back to Stamets and Culber for a second. I thought it was a, I don't think it was done as a callback, but I am instantly thought of back in Deep Space Nine when uh, Worf and Jadzia were on a mission together and Jadzia was wounded and Worf abandoned the mission to save his wife. And I kind of got that vibe going in this scene. Don't know why. Could be way out in left field. Um, but Starfleet, there are risks. And I was, it was interesting to see Stamets' reaction, but also the way that Culber handled it and letting uh, Paul know exactly what he thought was what should be happening. You know, it's funny. Just listening to you guys kind of talk about this a bit, it has me thinking a lot about... You know, well, that's not very Starfleet. I think what I love so much about this show is that it's redefining what it is to be Starfleet. I mean, I've always, I've grown up on TNG and I love TNG and it's, and I'm watching so much of it again for Rewind, but I find that it's just so unrelatable with the way that they are so detached emotionally from a lot of situations. And um, this show is not that. And every week there's something that comes up that's very human or very human-like emotional based or whatever and i i'm here for it because that's reality and that's i mean rules are rules and people do their best but in times of crisis sometimes you can't help the way you're going to react and it is what it is i think that's a fantastic way to look at it and i would go so far as to say based on what you just said i don't really know if we were doing this kind of show back in the tng time if we could have a humanity section like we do now because you're right, there was that disconnect mm-hmm. in a lot of those episodes, and we have that family, we have the humanity here in Discovery, which, which I'm not knocking what happened. Um, I just thought it was, it was an interesting conversation that I, I really didn't expect from someone who had been in Starfleet as long as he had. Um, but moving along, uh, it, it was a great scene, and I loved the deer in the background kind of just listening in to what was going on uh, with Gray. It was good to see uh, Gray again as well. Um, Hollow technology gone bad. Is this the first time we've had a holodeck gone bad episode, Bill? <laughs> In Discovery? <laughs> Te- I, technically, I think it is. Um, and it's gone bad, like, in the worst way, but it, kind of in the best way for our crew. Um, because it's it's allowing them to blend in and approach Sukal a little more stealthily mm-hmm. than if they had just beamed in looking like Starfleet people. Yes. I, I'm pretty sure if, if Sukal saw another Kelpian, he would not. He would totally be thrown and, and be even more afraid. Um, I think he'd be wondering what what is going on. How did you get here? And it would probably start, you know, a, probably an even bigger reaction than the one that caused the burn potentially. So, I, I think it's the right call that the program s- decided to do that, and that tells me it's also a little smart, which I appreciate. Uh, yeah, uh, absolutely. Um, I also like the fact that when we get to see older Starfleet uniforms from the future, that makes no sense at all, but you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah. uh, it was kind of cool to see. It was kind of neat seeing the the hiccups that the programming was having after being on for so long and, and the planet with the radiation and so forth. I thought it was kind of cool. And of course, the whole reason that this is going on is because of Sukal. We get to finally meet this lone survivor who has been alone without real people for decades and still has the what what I took as kind of like the mind of a child still of course being in solitary or just in by himself for so long I found it very um interesting I guess is the best word that I can say Sarah uh, when we found out what the actual cause of the burn was and how it related to Sukal uh, I I need more information 
I'm going to be real with you. I mean, I, I think I get an idea about what's going on. I'm not sure if I know what's going on, but I'm assuming there's some kind of re his ability to re to control his reactions is, I, I don't know. It's a, it's a weird way to go. Yeah, it, it really is. And, and I guess one of the things, Bill, I want to get your take on what you feel about the burn also, because you did mention when you were giving your thumbs up or thumbs down that one of the aspects that you found disappointing was this realization of what the burn actually was from. Yeah, I, I, I think part of the thing I have a problem with is that we've gone now 11 episodes, almost 11 full episodes, wondering what the burn is. I mean, they teased it, you know, in, in the lead up to the season. Um, you know, the marketing was, what is the burn? And now we find out what the burn is. And it's honestly, it's kind of meh. Um, like Sarah said, we don't have a lot of detail, but the detail we have is very, well, it, it's a very original series like concept. We don't have a villain here. We don't have a big bad trying to destroy Starfleet. We have an alien who through some set of circumstances accidentally wound up destroying a, a fleet of starships, apparently through emotion based on his situation. Very fascinating, but I, I wanted something bigger. I wanted something almost cataclysmic to match the jump to the future. And I think that's what I'm trying to reconcile right now. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you on that 100%. To me, this cause was extremely anticlimactic, I guess is the best way. Because like you said, we've been building up to this all season. We've only got two episodes left, and we're finding out what it was, and it was like, really, that's it? We've talked about how we thought it might have been Discovery itself from the future in the nebula that caused the burn, or the Red Angel, or something that would have been like an oh, wow moment that really would have had ramifications for the crew and it kind of doesn't seem that way, at least not for me yet. So we do still have other episodes to go in the season where we might get more information. But you're right. It's kind of like, and I'm saying this tongue-in-cheek when I say it, it's kind of like Sukal having a temper tantrum might have caused the burn. Yeah, and the real question now is how do they mitigate that going forward? Yeah. Because they have to kind of resolve this. Um, if they try to take him out of there, is he just going to freak out even more and cause the burn part two? I don't mm. know. Yeah. Um, so, so how do they neutralize it? It'll be interesting to see, but you know, we've had the faith in the writers all season long, so I'm kind of hoping that we were able to get something, uh, Sarah, that we mm -hmm. can be happy with, maybe? Yeah, and you know, thinking on it a little bit more, you guys have such good points, and it gets my brain going in like a thousand directions, but there's also something really kind of interesting and, and neat about the fact that sometimes stuff happens and yeah. accidents happen and tragedy is the result and this is maybe possibly an example of that where it's just it doesn't have to be epic it's just a horrible thing when you started saying that just now i thought the word you were going to use was innocent it was mm -hmm. something Very. innocent mm -hmm. which in some ways would be kind of like okay i can live with that if that's what it was but uh, i guess i guess we'll find out well and that's uh, that's something that is so original series and so star trek mm -hmm. how many episodes did we see where the villain wasn't really a villain at all and it really boiled down to understanding or a being that was very different from us and mm -hmm. responded very differently and we didn't we needed to communicate better in order to understand I have a feeling that's what's at the end of this. And if that, I mean, that's the case, that that's hundred percent fine. It's just, I didn't know that that reveal at that moment was worth all of the buildup. Yeah. That's all. Yeah. I, yeah. I agree. And and when you were talking about that, all it popped into my head was Trelane 
Oh, but you exactly. saw. Yeah. Absolutely. So, okay, so back up on Discovery, uh, before they beamed down to the planet, Saru decided to put um, Ensign Tilly in command. As first officer, she became acting captain. And there's been a lot of discussion online and between ourselves as to whether this was the right thing to do or not. I will say, from a standpoint of Mary Wiseman, as a standpoint of the character of Tilly, I loved watching her in that chair. Yes. I loved what she did. I loved the way she stood up to Osira. I thought it was great. She had some good barbs, not the one under the arm. I'm talking about the <laughs> armchair. I'm talking about to Osira. Um, and I thought she did a great job. But there is conversation, and we're going to have a conversation right now. And, Bill, I'm going to start with you as to whether you think it was the right thing for Saru to do based on what we've seen in Star Trek in the past. Absolutely not. Um, and don't get me wrong, I have to stay, you know, before people start adding me on social media, um, <laughs> I, I love Tilly. I'm a huge Tilly fan. Mm-hmm. I love what Mary Wiseman has done with Tilly, even uh, the way she's performed as the acting captain of the Discovery. So this is not a complaint about what Tilly has done. It's a complaint about Saru's decision in the first place. Um, we learned in Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, and even in TOS, that pretty much anybody, you know, the senior officer on board must assume command. Tilly may be the acting executive officer, something even Vance is surprised at, as you called out, Dan, but she is not the most senior officer aboard in Star Trek terms. And in battle, she should not have been in command. I can understand that interpretation of, of what's happened in the past. For me, even though it's not officially a rank, she is the first officer, and in my mind, that means she is second in command, so it is only logical that if the captain is going to be away, that the first officer assume the role of acting captain. Oh, I agree with that. And and so even though her rank is ensign, because her position is first officer, I was okay with it. It makes me kind of think of, let's say, there, there were situations in, T- in TNG, and I'm, I'm blanking right now at the different episodes, but if the only person available to become captain was because based on rank was the doctor would that make sense yeah it's happened actually but has the but but the captain and i i'm kind of being hypocritical because tilly doesn't have command experience yet but the doctor didn't take the command training as far as we knew look at counselor troy in disaster i was just going to bring up Counselor Troy as well. Um, she um, she's the ranking officer aboard, despite the fact that Rolaren has more command experience than she does. Deanna Troy is in charge of the Enterprise because she's got the pips, and that's what should have happened in this case to stay true to canon. Even though I hate invoking canon, but stay true to how Starfleet operates. Um, uh, even Lieutenant Nilsson has infinitely more command experience than Tilly does, and in battle, the senior officer is supposed to assume command. I will say I did find it very interesting that everybody on the bridge crew seemed way okay with her being in command. Oh, sure. Um, everybody had the smiles and everybody mm-hmm. gave the, the, the thumbs up kind of with their eyebrows when she, when she made a couple of those comments to uh, Os- Osira. But Sarah, what's your take on this? Because um, it's one-to-one right now. You get the deciding vote. <laughs> and I'm going to have such a political answer in that I'm very 50-50. Because I want to say yes, this was a great choice. I really want to say yes. Because she is acting and she's she wants it. So let's mm-hmm. give her the experience. Absolutely. It went well so far. We're, she's doing a great job. Um, but I think that this is a symbol and a sign of Saru's 
Saru's having a rough go, and that's going to yeah. be my controversial. And don't at me because I don't know. <laughs> but I'm just, I think that this is one more thing that kind of adds on to the fact that I think Saru is struggling in his role, and this is being used as a catalyst for that. Um, but at the same time, Go Girl, she got she she did some good work in that role, and uh, all the power to her. But technically, yeah, it's a tough one. It's a really tough one. So it's one and a half to one and a half, mm-hmm. Bill. <laughs> I think that's the way we're going to go. And, um, and that's cool. And like I said, I mean, the episode played well. I have no problems yeah. with what transpired on screen. I have no problems with Tilly. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, if I look back at Saru's decision-making process, it is flawed. Mm. Um, yes. Was it a good decision for the crew? Yes. But in battle, battle, it's not a good decision for the ship or the crew. I think that, uh, I will say right now, I think that this episode, even though this part of the story was not the it was not the a story obviously the scenes with mary were absolutely phenomenal i was reading an article that she did this week where she's been talking about her character and the unfortunate garbage that she's had to deal with with body shaming on social media to me this just raises her performance of tilly to another level and I, i i just I, Mary Wiseman, thank you for everything you do because because mm-hmm. you are awesome and you are a role model for so many uh, people out there. So I, I just wanted to throw that out there as we continue the conversation. Amen. Absolutely, yeah. So I, I do have a, um, a a question for you, Bill. Hmm. When did Discovery get a cloaking device? Yeah, what's up with that? Um, I, now, we know they made upgrades. I don't recall that being mentioned once they found know. Starfleet. I could yeah. be wrong about that. But it seemed awfully convenient to bring up, oh, hey, why don't we just cloak? We have one of those now, right? And I'm like going, what about the Treaty of Algeron? Um, and, uh, Riker was, almost got thrown in jail for this. And it was awfully convenient that they couldn't spore jump when they're cloaked. <laughs> well, there's always a convenience, right? They, <laughs> That's right. They, they can't fire. Klingon birds of prey can't fire when they're cloaked until they can, and then Discovery can't jump until you know they stop cloaking. Can't use shields. Um, <laughs> but did you notice that Discovery and the uh, the Emerald Chain ship cloaked at the very same time? I don't understand how that worked. I don't either. I was also going to say that I found it interesting. Oh, cloaking devices just must be able to be picked up at the nearest convenience store in the future because <laughs> the, the the Emerald Chain ship, which I must say is the ugliest ship I have ever seen in Star Trek, I will say that right now. It, uh, um, it just surpassed well. the Narada as the <laughs> ugliest ship in Star Trek. <laughs> Sarah, do you like seeing cloaking devices in uh, this uh, era of Star Trek? You know what? It's 900 years into the future. There's weird holodecks and there's weird cloaking. As long as we don't see Badgie, I'm okay with it. <laughs> <laughs> I just hope that that got weeded out somewhere down the road. Um, no, I I think the cloaking's great. Surprise. Why not? I also like the Matrix-like tendrils that came out of the uh, Emerald Chain ship later on uh, towards the end of the episode. (laughs) It was also kind of reminiscent of that episode uh, last season where um, uh, Tyler and Pike were in the shuttlecraft Mm -hmm. fighting the the thing from the future, which also had some kind of tendrils. So um, uh, that seems to be a theme. Weren't there also tendrils in the finale of Picard with a thing coming out of subspace? Uh, Or was it just a giant snaky thing? (laughs) Uh, I don't recall. It kind of reminded me of Encounter at Farpoint. Wasn't there the, wasn't that a thing? The space jellyfish? Oh, yeah. space jellyfish, yeah. yeah. Space jellyfish. Okay. <laughs> all kinds of stuff going on. Wow, everything's tied together in some way. Um, 
Okay, so uh, we were just talking about the ugly starship that Osira runs. So, of course, we were talking about her a few weeks ago and how she was not really that scary a villain. Um, she's just sitting there, quote in air quotes, twirling the mustache type of villain. Um, but she shows up and she's got Federation codes, Bill, which was kind of worrying me a little bit because just a few weeks ago in your long-range scan, you talked about how you thought Vance could have been the head of the Emerald Chain. And so maybe she's got some inside information on how she can just swoop in and surprise everybody. Um, what do you think of, of her performance this week when comparing it to when we last saw her? Eh, I'm not really sold on Osira. I, I don't think there's a, a there's a boss level after her anymore. I think that she's it. I think okay. that she really is the leader of the chain. I'm just not all that bowled over by the character. I think that um, I, I I think the performance is fine. I just I I don't I, I'm not intimidated by the character. I'm not scared by the character. I don't think the character poses much of a threat. Um, but that's just me. She kind of. Uh, and looking at her, and she's obviously is in power through fear. It made me think of the mirror universe, actually, Sarah, and that who's ever got the most people scared of him is the one who's going to be in charge. So, wouldn't take much for one of the people to come up behind her with a phaser and and take care of it. I would think um, maybe that's a little dark, but she doesn't seem to really have any control other than control through fear. What do you think? Dan, getting dark in the holiday season. Come on. I know. <laughs> I'm all, it's just my nature. You know what? I love her. <laughs> I love her. I love her. I can't wait to see the cosplay and the green bathtubs as a result of the cosplay. Um, <laughs> there's something... I think there's more to her. I, I want more about her. Um, I want a little bit less of that kind of rule with fear though because i go to you know when i think of good villains i think of you know like hannibal lecter how polite was this person if you didn't know his backstory right you wouldn't stand a chance and so i love that kill him with kindness type thing and she i think i don't know i just i like the character I, i i want more as soon as i see a character and i'm i'm wanting more i'm asking questions i'm that's a sign to me that i'm hooked i i will say that as i mentioned before i i didn't think she was all that scary in the first the first time we saw it this time she seemed a little bit more um scary if that's the right word and it will be interesting to see what happens with next week's episode of course the teaser for next week shows that there's going to be of course to try to to uh, get discovery back um this is a perfect example in this episode bill where personal transporters can be a real problem because you can just personally transport right into the spore room and put a big uh crown on stamets head and make his eyes go blue uh, zombie Stamets. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I I think personal transporters are one of the biggest mistakes of the season, um, and they're trans- uh, they're essentially teleporters, um, which something is Star Trek has said it, it has never really had. Mm-hmm. Um, it it if they can just jump anywhere at any point, then why bother having a transporter? Um, you know why why bother to you know beam down anywhere? Yeah. Um, if they can be anywhere instantly, why does anybody walk around the ship? I don't get it. It's funny that you say that because today, before we recorded, they they released a scene for this week's coming episode, and Vance was talking to his head of security, and they were walking along the lower floor of headquarters, and they transported right up to the upper floor and just kept their conversation and walked. I thought that was a little interesting, but it it goes to your point. Uh, But Sarah, I have a question for you. Do you think that there is any tie-in, and this 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 is a real deep cut, back in season one... Oh, Stamets' eyes went all blue when, when uh, with, with the whole mycelial network. 
he kind of had the same look of those blue eyes when they put that device on his head. Do you think there's any any tie-in whatsoever? I'm completely going out in left field, but it is something that popped up in my head, so I thought I'd I'd uh, ask you about it. Okay, considering that you're diving into something really small that I don't remember, then that to me means totally going to be something that's going to happen because I never pick up on this stuff and I miss out and I can never get good guesses. So I'm saying, you know what? Good catch. That could be something. That makes sense to me. Bill? Uh, No. No. I I didn't think... I I wasn't sure either. I just wanted to throw it out there. I do think it's cool and I love how he gets to put his hands in the palm olive and make the the ship jump away and stuff like that. So... (laughs) Palm Um, olive. Obviously, a lot of stuff going on this week. A lot of emotion, a lot of reveals, a lot of tension, and almost exactly like what we have here on Discovering Trek during the briefing room every single week. Thanks, guys. A question. Since before your son burned hot in space and before your race was born, I have awaited a question. Well, here we are at the newest part of Discovering Trek, and that is Sarah's Question Corner. You know, a few weeks ago, she hit us up with a question that nobody knew was coming, and we loved it so much that we just decided to turn it into its own part of the show. So we have no idea what she's going to ask. We hope that she's got something, otherwise I'll sound like a fool. But uh, Sarah, what do you have uh, for the Question Corner this week? I've got a good one, I think. Oh, This is based on that holodeck technology that has been essentially raising Sukal. If you were suddenly play, uh, suddenly thrust into a situation where you were alone. Now, sure, you might have if this technology existed, a hol- holographic technology. Would you be able to manage a solitary lifestyle? And if so, how long? Bill? <laughs> <laughs> wow. See, that's the virtue of being in the host chair on this show. Um, I, I would do very poorly. And I say that because... Um, I, I feel like in quarantine and social distancing, I'm kind of living that a little bit now on some level. And there are days where I feel like I'm not doing very well at all, even though I really am. But it's just, it's the grind. It's the, it's the, the solitude. It's the, okay, do I get to see people today? Um, and I, 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 granted it would be different in a holodeck type situation in the future, but I don't know. I, I can't imagine I would fare very well at all. Dan? I got to say, it all depends on how long it would be for. Uh, it would be for. Um, if it was as long as, as he's been in there, I don't I don't think I'd be able to handle it. But but holodecks have always intrigued me. Um, I could, I could f- probably have a great time for a long time in a holodeck just coming up with all kinds of different situations. I'd be at Disney World all the time or this or that. But the whole idea of of realizing that you are alone will catch up with me. And at some point it, I I'll, I'll lose it. Um, and Bill, you made a great point with this whole pandemic and, and isolation that so many people are going through. Um, luckily it, I have Sue, uh, you have Kelly, mm-hmm. um, and everybody has someone or, well, not everybody, but for the people that do, it's much easier, but for the people that don't, I could totally see how it could go downhill really, really fast. Yeah. What about you, Sarah? I think, to be honest, I would do well. I'm, I think, a loner in nature. Um, I grew up as an only child with a 
active imagination, go play in your room. Okay, happy to do it. I'm very easily able to entertain myself and find a rhythm. So, I mean, I've, I've gone through quarantine, but I do have a partner and, you know, we've it's been great. But I think, yeah, I miss solitude sometimes and I would be that, I'd be a lighthouse keeper <laughs> if I ever had a dream job. <laughs> like, I'd be okay with that. But... 20, 30, 40 years? That's a completely different situation. I'd like to abandon Dan in a lighthouse for about 20, 30, 40 years. That would be amazing. I was, wow, oh, I was going to say something that harsh. Ouch. All I was going to say, if I had cross-stitch stuff in an Xbox, I'd be good. Yeah. <laughs> Your needs are very simple. <laughs> well, folks, we want to take a moment to thank Fansets for being the presenting sponsor of Discovering Trek and the Trek Geeks Podcast Network. And even though Christmas has already passed, we still want to wish them the happiest of holidays and the best in 2021. We are so honored to have this special relationship with Fansets. And during this pandemic, we know that small businesses have suffered. We want to thank all of their customers for supporting Fansets during these troubling times. They are dedicated to bringing the best product available to you, and that will never change, no matter what is thrown at them. As 2020 nears its end, thankfully, we want to wish Fansets the very happiest of the new year. Lou and John and the entire Fansets team have some amazing pins planned for 2021, and we think you'll agree that the best truly is yet to come. With 2021 being Enterprise 20, I am looking forward to maybe an Enterprise collector set. I guess maybe you could say that I have faith Don't. of the heart. Oh. It's been a long road, Dan. It oh. getting from there to here. When when is that solitary thing with you in the holodeck going to start? It, it's been a long time. <laughs> but my out. time is finally here. Very very nice. Just just please stop. I will say one thing though, Bill. Uh, one of the coming attractions that was shown recently on Fansets social media pages was the latest Women of Trek pin, and it is the beautiful Nurse Christine Chapel. It is absolutely stunning and will be a welcome addition to my Women of Trek collection. So friends, head on over to Fansets.com to see the latest releases of their pins, and even better, buy some. And as a Discovering, Discovering Trek listener, enter the special code word Discovering Trek at checkout for an amazing 15% off your entire order. And don't forget that if you're in the United States and spend more than $30, you're going to get free shipping. Fansets. Our pins have character. And we thank our friends at Fansets for being the presenting sponsor of Discovering Trek and the Trek Geeks Podcast Network. Of all the souls I have encountered in my travels, his was the most human. Well, Star Trek has always been a reflection of our times, and in this segment, we always take a look at what the episode helped us to discover about humanity, or perhaps even what it tells us about ourselves. And Sarah, as the returning uh, third chair person, <laughs> let's start with you this week. <laughs> wow, what a title. Can I fit I it on a name plaque, do you think? Or? <laughs> yeah, probably, yeah. <laughs> okay, well, with this episode, uh, the theme that came to me was bravery. It comes in so many forms. It can be grand, it can be subtle, it can be noble, it can be unnecessary. There was a lot of that in this episode, if you ask me. Adira, Book, Tilly, Sukal, even Osara, Osira, Osara, <laughs> sorry, showed bravery, be it for good or for bad. It makes me look at my own bravery or lack thereof. I'm a chicken if I, ha if I have a choice and, I'm st and I can be stubbornly brave, but in crucial times. I always wanted to be a cop, but 
well, I'm out of shape and I need to rule the world. So ultimately it would lead to corruption. But in all seriousness, I'm not brave. I don't like that slow lurking something could jump out at me. But in other ways, I'm brave. I've stood tall during major life events and I've come through stronger. Does bravery need an audience? Does it need to be self-sacrificing? I don't think so. I think Michael Burnham's pretending to be a hologram was brave. I think being strong enough to admit your cat is everything and you want their paw to be looked at is brave. I guess where I'm going with this is that Discovery did a great job this week putting a lot of different characters in different situations that highlight the rainbow of bravery that actually exists. You know, Jim Kirk once said that the words, let me help, would be three words recommended over the words, I love you. People help. It's what we do. It's in our nature. And watching Michael completely morph into a holographic program so that she could get information from Sukal, but more importantly, to help him with his fears, was just the most wonderful scene of this week. It made me long for the days when our society makes let me help a regular and accepted phrase. If anything, this season of Discovery has given me hope that we can overcome any obstacle and succeed, but only if we help one another. This week, Hugh Culbert puts everything aside because he believes his experience can help Saru and Burnham as they go to investigate the life sign. I mean, not just his experience as a medical professional, but his experience alone in another dimension just trying to survive. He goes despite the very appropriate protests of Paul Stamets. He goes because there is a need. He goes because there is simply no one else who can. And that makes me think there are hundreds of thousands of medical professionals in this country and probably millions around the world putting themselves in danger every single day during this pandemic. They, their families, their loved ones, all risking their health because others need their help to provide critical care. They, like Hugh Culbert, do this because they're the only ones who can. Without them, we are all at risk. And without them, we'd have no chance at all at getting through this. Commendations, palm leaf of Axonar Peace Mission, Grand Kite Order of Tactics, Class of Excellence, Frenteris Ribbon of Commendation. Hey, who wants awards that don't mean anything? I do. I know I do. I do. <laughs> Yay. I want a Dundee. <laughs> <laughs> it's time for Starfleet Commendations. Every week we like to talk about the best parts of the episode and what we thought uh, should get uh, a Starfleet Commendation. And uh, Bill, let's start with you, man. What you got? Well, uh, first we're going to give Sarah the whitest sneakers in the office award. <laughs> should we call <laughs> these <we're>... diskies? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we should. Uh, I actually have one in, in, a, in a minor call-out that I want to make. I'll do the minor call-out first. First, I want to say, good to see Robert Verlack back in Kelpie and makeup as the Elder Hollow. Uh, right. He played Saru's father in the short, The Brightest Star in Short Tracks. So good to see him back. Unmistakable voice, and I thought it was a, a fantastic job. But as for my three commendations this week, I'm going to pick uh, first the visual effects team. This episode really stands head and shoulders above everything else they've done this year. And what they've done so far has truly been amazing. They created something otherworldly. And that's what science fiction and Star Trek is supposed to do. Can you imagine if any of the other shows had had this visual effects budget It would have been, and technology? It would have been unreal. So my hat's off to them big time. Secondly, uh, Dougie. Doug Jones, I I, I, I got to include him because we get to see Dougie as, as as himself this week, and that's worth a commendation alone. So uh, 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 
That's number two. And then lastly, I got to call out Bill Irwin as Sukal. Um, what a great, great job. When you consider that Bill Irwin is about 70 years old now, which is not an exaggeration, um, he puts forth the very childlike quality that Sukal has. And for people wondering who, who is Bill Irwin? Um, if you dial back the Wayback machine and remember the Bobby McFerrin music video, don't worry, be happy. He's the third guy along with Robin Williams and Bobby McFerrin. That's Bill oh Irwin. So, uh, just an amazing performer, very physical performer, just a great, great talent and one hell of an actor. So those are my three for this week. Sarah, what you got for my first one? I need four words. Bill Irwin, bum bum, because <laughs> I recognize him from Law and Order Special Victims Unit, but amongst many other things, he was great. What as soon as this character came on, I was on my laptop looking up who's playing the character, and when I saw that face, I recognized him instantly, and I just thought he did a fantastic job. Doug Jones, I mean, how uh, every week, I mean, he delivers. He's uh, somebody that I just I wasn't expecting to fall so madly in love with in a way like I just you know Saru is a great character not my favorite but man like my love for Doug Jones makes me just love Saru more and seeing him in all his glory was such a treat because we know him as the man of a billion faces and to get to see his made it all that much better and lastly Janet Kidder my girl as Osira I like her I thought she's I don't know I think maybe it's that's how I would rule. I'd just stubbornly sit in the chair and just dramatically be a nightmare and uh, love every minute of it. And the hair, the bangs, the green, I'm all for it. 2021, wow. I'm going green. <laughs> <laughs> well, for me, um, I, I got to agree with Bill uh, on a couple of things. First of all, the special effects. This episode was unbelievable. And we've been talking since episode one of season one. This is a cinematic show. Um, the special effects are fantastic, but this week they outdid themselves. The 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 nebula, the planet, the the monster. That that monster can and, and you you said so, Bill. Could you, you think of the shower curtain gorgon in TOS? Yeah. And think of what they did with this creature um, in 2020. It was absolutely stunning, and and they just outdo themselves. It seems every single week. Um, also, like you said, Dougie, Doug, my man. I'm so happy that we got to see Doug on screen in Star Trek. I I have so much respect and love for this guy. My voice, my my outgoing voicemail message on my phone is a recording that Doug Jones did for me at STLV uh, a couple years ago as Saru and everybody compliments me and says, "Oh my god, where did you get that?" It is something I will never get rid of because I love that guy so much and it was so great to see him on screen as him being Saru. And thirdly, I've already talked about it, but I got to give a Starfleet commendation to Mary Wiseman. Her performance this week was just great after also reading about what we read in her article earlier uh, uh, this week. She does great. She is, she said in season one that she's going to be captain. And this is the start of that path. And I thought that for her first uh, time as acting captain to have the um, danger that showed up and to lose her ship, I think it's only going to help make her stronger. And that performance by Mary Wiseman was just absolutely spectacular. Long range scan of planet complete. So every episode, we like to take a good, long, hard look into the Bajoran Orb of Prophecy to try and determine what the future will hold for the crew of the Discovery. We're usually wrong, but every now and then we get one right. We only have two episodes left, 
uh, Sarah and Bill. So uh, what's next for Discovery? And uh, Sarah, let's start with you. Okay, we got two more episodes to go. I very firmly feel like Saru is not going to be captain much longer. I have a bad feeling that someone's going to die. I don't know what, I don't know who, I don't know why. I just have a feeling there's just a lot of tension. I don't know. It's going to be a dramatic two episodes left and I'm ready for it. Wow, you called me dark a little while. I know, I'm sorry. I took it there. (laughs) No, but you know what? I'm going to play right off of that because... um, more and more a change in command of Discovery seems evident. We've talked about how much we love Saru as captain. He's the first alien to be a captain of a Star Trek series, and and he's done a fantastic job. But he looked like he was compromised a couple of weeks ago when he saw the Kelpian transmission. He kept information from the Admiral and feigned that he was doing so to gather more before proceeding. And this week he is clearly affected by the events on the planet. And Burnham actually confirmed that he was emotionally compromised. So I think he's going to realize all this and he's going to do what a good commander would do. He's going to relinquish command to Michael Burnham at the end of season three, Bill. Let me ask you both the question before I go for my long range scan. Do you think there's a possibility that Tilly could wind up as captain of the discovery? No, I don't think so. Okay. That's not my long range scan. (laughs) I do think it's a possibility. Um, but I, 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 right now I can't see Burnham coming back to the captain's chair and unless they appoint a captain, I, uh, I don't know who it would be other than her, but my long range scan might spill into next season. I'm not sure, but I think discovery is going to be found out as being from a different time. And that's going to be a violation of the temporal accords, which causes parties to withdraw and resign from the treaty and could potentially lead to another war for Starfleet and the Federation. That's my long-range scan. Three dark long-range scans. (laughs) (laughs) Happy holidays. (laughs) (laughs) Fa-la-la-la-la. Oh, gosh. (laughs) Well, unfortunately, Sarah, next week you will not be with us as Casey will be taking over for the penultimate episode of Discovery, but we'll see you in two weeks. Mm -hmm. So uh, what do we have coming up uh, next week? Well, next week. After capturing the USS Discovery, Osira seeks a meeting with Admiral Vance while Burnham and the crew must overcome unimaginable odds as they attempt to regain command of their ship. It's Star Trek Discovery Season 3, Episode 12, There is a Tide. Until then, remember that you can subscribe to Discovering Trek by searching for us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or by heading to discoverytrek.com. If you enjoy what we're doing here on Discovering Trek and the Trek Geeks Podcast Network, please consider supporting us on Patreon. As a subscriber, you can get access to unedited recordings of episodes, as well as other exclusive content and great subscriber rewards, like our annual supporters pins from our friends at Fansets and our exclusive Trek Geeks Podcast Network t-shirt design, among some other stuff we got kicking around. Of course, we want to take a moment to recognize the following amazing producers of Discovering Trek, and we are truly so thankful for their support. Mike Bovia, Chaz Bradshaw, Ken Bird, Kyle Castillo, Peter Craig, Craig Ewing, Al Godwin, Jackie and Chris Hackney, Kimberly Hartman, David Hood, Tony Lambast, Lionel Marchand, Matt McGonagall, Jim McMahon, Charlie Mulvey, Sean O'Halloran, Jamie Rogers, Chris Trebuzio, Ken Tripp, Christina Werther, and the lovely and talented Jess Vashon. 
If you would like to become a producer of Discovering Trek or even get access to the raw audio for Discovering Trek episodes, head on over to patreon.com slash trekgeeks for all the details. You know, guys, I got to tell you, you know, the holidays were just a couple of days ago, and it was different this year because everything was done virtual. I did virtual meetings with my parents, and it's been a rough couple of days, lots of stuff going on. Sitting down, talking to you two about an episode of Discovery just makes me feel better. So I want to thank both of you for being here, as you are all the time, uh, to help talk about the show and support one another. It's really awesome. And uh, on that note, Sarah, when can, where can people find you online, my dear? To find me personally, I am on Twitter at Van Island Sarah. Bill, I know where you're going to say you are. <laughs> I'm in your house. <laughs> no. <laughs> <I'm> <laughs> <behind> you. <laughs> no, I can be found on Twitter at Trek Geek Bill. And of course, I am always milling about our official Facebook group for the Trek Geeks Podcast Network, Camp Kittimer. All you got to do is search for that and, um, and let us know you want to get in. Absolutely. I can be found on Camp Kittimer all the time, every single day. And also you can find me on Twitter at TrekGeekDan. And that is going to do it for this week in our discussion of Episode 11, Sukal. While the mystery of the burn may be solved partially, the mystery of what happens to the crew of the Discovery is still up in the air. And these last two episodes of the season should be epic. As always, we want to thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedules to listen to us talk about this amazing new chapter in the Star Trek universe each and every week. We wouldn't be here without your support, and we thank you so very much. We'll be back next week to discuss There is a Tide, and we hope you'll join us. Until then, here are some words of wisdom from the late Admiral Katrina Cornwell. The only way to make a new road is to walk it. And until next week... Never stop discovering. Music for Discovering Trek is provided by Five Year Mission. They're writing an original song for each episode of Star Trek. Hear more of their music at fiveyearmission.net. Discovering Trek is a production of Coconut Media Works, executive producers Bill Smith and Dan Davidson. For more great Star Trek discussion, discover the other shows of the Trek Geeks podcast network at trekgeeks.com or find us in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. Coconut!